Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 1, and we'll be reading through chapter 2, verse 11. John writes, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we are writing so that our joy may be made complete. And this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness blinded his eyes. Again, this time to Ephesians. Ephesians, and turn first to chapter 2. We're going to start out there and I'll say a few things about chapter 2, something we've learned already uh, before we get on into chapter 5. We'll be spending our time this morning in Ephesians 5, verses 7 through 10. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Let me ask you, should faith and works be set against one another? In other words, is it always right to say that it must be one or the other? Well, it depends on the question, right? If the question is, how is a person saved? Then we must say with Paul in Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 that salvation is, as he says there, by grace, through faith, and it is not a result of works. But, if the question is, how must a saved person live? Then we will say with Paul what he does here in chapter 2, verse 10. That faith 
will produce good works. Faith will produce good works. In other words, the faith that saves without the help of works, and this is important, this is what we have to understand, one of the things that the Reformers in that great work of the Holy Spirit in in bringing about um, a revival in the Reformation, getting people back into the Word of God, was to understand that faith saves without the help of works. And so that faith which saves without the help of works is a faith that lives a life of good works. Okay, So you can see that it's not always completely an either-or. It's like it could only be one or the other in that sense. It depends on what the question is. If the question is, how, do you, how are we saved? Then it is by faith, and that's it. Or by grace through faith, and not works. But we're not done with works. We don't say, okay, we don't have to worry about works anymore. Although some people try to say that. It's not true. Because a faith that... This faith that saves lives a life of good works. So what I'm getting at is this. A life of good works is the necessary outworking of faith that saves. That means that the character of the person who is saved, the character of your life must change. And it must be a drastic change. Your new way of living must be as different from the old way as light is different from darkness. And so in this great passage here in Ephesians 2, which tells us about salvation by grace alone through faith alone, Paul went on to teach, as I mentioned already in verse 10, where he says there that we were created in Christ Jesus or we were, we were His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, those good works, God prepared beforehand, what? That we should walk in them. And so, you see, this whole idea of walking, it comes out of this sola fide and sola gratia. You know, it's like that faith produces good works. And and so you can if if you say you have saving faith but there's no good works that follow works of a character we're going to talk about today then that faith isn't saving faith if it's not followed by good works. You see this idea of that we should walk in them these good works. That's where Paul first talks about walking in a positive sense. And what we end up having, end up here in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 on the one hand, and then verse 10 on the other, is really what we've seen in the whole book of Ephesians. So if we divide the book up, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but we're not quite there yet. We divide the, the book into two parts. Chapters 1 through 3, that's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? It's all, what has God done for us? It was all done for us. We didn't do these things to earn them. Okay, it is by grace through faith. We receive that from God. But then, verse 10, he talks about these good works that God has created us for, created us in Christ that we should walk in them. And so, then what has Paul done in the second half of the book? 
So chapters 4 through 6, we find that this idea of, of walking, right? And, and so we're gonna, I'm going to show you more of that in a moment. So in, we're in this second half of Ephesians now, uh, and you can go ahead and turn over to chapter 5 if you'd like. <clears throat> That's where we'll spend the rest of our time. In this second half of Ephesians, Paul is looking at this walk from different perspectives. And so I tried to show this on the slide. So it's not, even though you know, we may say it this way, and I've, I've, I know I've said it this way, it's like that we're, it's a different way in which to walk, but that's not exactly true. What it is, it's just different perspectives on the one way we walk, okay? We're going to see that the new nature that we have now received, this new man that we have put on, manifests itself in a certain way, but we can look at it from different perspectives. So like if you're looking at through different telescopes with different lenses that, that are looking for different things, if you will, along that walk, that one walk of faith, we Paul presents it to us in different perspectives. And so he invites us to explore a new perspective on our daily walk from the ones that we've already talked about. In this new section that we are entering this morning, He tells us what it means to walk as children of light. And so, as we look at this section, we'll begin um, in chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. We'll only get through 7 through 10 this morning. But this first half of it, what he's doing there is saying, he's calling us to walk in the distinctive fruit of the light. To walk in the distinctive fruit of the light. And what he's trying to show us there is that our life in Christ, our new life in Christ must be as different from the life of unbelievers as light is different from darkness. And think about this. With light and darkness, the reason that Scripture writers use these terms, light and darkness, is because you can't have them both at the same time, not in reality, because what happens, you walk into a dark room, you flip on the white light switch, and then... The darkness, it's like it flees, right? That's just kind of a, a picturesque way of looking at it. The, the darkness is dispelled. It's gone. It's driven out by the light. You can't have both. You can't have a, a completely dark room and, a, and light. The, those don't coexist. So, let's take a moment to, since we're coming into a new section, let's look at where we are. So, kind of a little road map here for us. So, um, in the, the next slide... There's the two halves of the book I was already talking about, which Ephesians 2, 8, 9 represented the the half, the first half, and verse 10 represents the second half. And really, those three verses, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, together basically give you the structure of the book. And, And that's what we're following throughout this. So, the first half of the book is that doctrinal section where he's telling us all the wonderful truths that, that God has blessed us with, as was read just a few minutes ago uh, there from Ephesians 1. And there Paul is, is calling them to discover the vastness of God's love in calling you. Discover the vastness of His love in calling you. And we've already worked our way through all of those wonderful ways, those blessings that He has, has blessed us with in Christ. But the second half of the book, then, is the application of all of that. So now, then, Paul always does that. He he lays a foundation, a doctrinal foundation first, of all the truth you need to know. And then, based on that, it's like, oh, here's what you do with it. 
Okay, and so we're in the application section. He picks up that idea of walk from chapter 2, verse 10, and he, he's expanding on it. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And that is the overarching kind of umbrella call to us. But then he breaks that down into these different perspectives that we can look at that worthy walk. Okay, So we've already looked at walk in unity, walk in holiness. We just finished walk in love. Now we're entering a new perspective on that, walk in light. And as we... Take that section, 7 through 14 of chapter 5, and break it down. The first, we'll, first part we'll look at today, walk in the distinctive fruit of the light. So look with me at Ephesians 5, and I want to back up to verse 5 and pick up some of the context, because we'll see that as he's talking about walk in love, that that's going to then flow right into walk in light. So as he's going to talk about those that we should not be like, Ephesians 5, 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. We'll stop there for now. Our first main point, do not become partners with the sons of disobedience. Or seven, do not become partners with the sons of disobedience. And this word, therefore, what it's doing here is it's showing that after talking about walking in love and then what we are not to do, the, the put off, put on, and so... That put off part, you're not to be like them, that flows right into now walking as children of light. But he says first, don't become partners with the sons of disobedience. So therefore starts a new section where he is going to drive that home even more in a new way. And once again, we, as we've seen now for quite a while, starting in the middle of chapter 4, this, this idea of the put-off, put-on dynamic. So you put off sin, put on righteousness, right? And put in its place a godly character trait and godly behavior. And that's based on the put-off, put-on uh, foundation where he told us in verses 22 through 24 of chapter 4 that we have already put off the old self And we have already put on the new self. Now, to work that out in your life, then he goes through all these put-off, put-on pairs. And so we have another one here. And Paul's going to elaborate on some of this, beginning in verse 11, which we'll see next time, Lord willing. But for now, what he's doing is he's commanding us not to be partners or partakers with certain people. Well, who are those people that we're not to be partners with? Well, he's talking about those that he just mentioned back at the end of verse 6. So at the end of that section, walking in love, the last thing he talked about there were these sons of disobedience. And so he says, okay, I'm still talking about them. Therefore, don't be partners with them. Don't be fellow partakers with them. And the verb here in English, you may have, you know, do not be partakers. It's better translated become. Do not become partakers. Why? Because you are not that. So don't don't start acting like that. 
Don't become something that you're not. Don't become literally fellow partakers. We saw this term already, fellow partakers, in chapter 3, verse 6, where we are fellow partakers as believers in Jesus Christ. We're fellow partakers of the promise in Christ. You see, so that's an area in which we, we are fellow partakers, and we should make the most of that. We should you know, draw as much as we can from that, that we're fellow partakers of the promise in Christ. But he says, now, because that is true, your fellow partakers with believers don't become fellow partakers with the sons of disobedience. Don't become one of them in the way you walk. And so now he's going to explain that. Again, verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. And then he explains, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So second, what he's saying is that you now have a radically different nature. You now have a radically different nature. And what Paul's getting at here is... How you live must align with what you are. It should be this natural flow. What you are in Christ ought to flow out naturally as to how you are to, how you live. But he knows the reality of it is that we still battle the flesh, we still battle the world and the devil and everything else like that. So it's we fight sin, and so we need this instruction to tell us: remember what you are in Christ, and then live accordingly. Some people think something like this. I can be a believer and still behave, at least somewhat, like an unbeliever. You know, I could be a believer and there's still some areas that it's okay, you know, if if it's not really the way a Christian ought to behave. And what Paul is saying is, no, that must stop. You've got to stop that kind of practice and that kind of thinking. He says, you must not be partners with unbelievers because you once were darkness. You see, and what he's getting at, it's not just behavior. It goes beyond just behavior because a lot of times, and that's where some uh, secular counseling, that it focuses only on behavior. You know, like if we can just get you to behave well, then your life will be better. Well, in some ways it's a little better, but that's not what God is after. What God is after is the change, the change of heart where you change on the inside. And so it's not just about behavior. In fact, this is, for those of you uh, academic types, this is ontological, okay? It's about being, right? Who you are, what you are. That's what this is about. So who you are, what you are, ought to then work its way out into the way you behave. Behavior matters. matters a lot. That's where our, our ethics and morals, everything from Scripture come, come to play. <clears throat> but he says, you once were darkness, but not anymore. And go back to 422. I, I referenced that already. You have already put off. It's like a garment. You've taken it off. You've put off the old self, the old man, as we sometimes call it. And Paul is not only saying that you once were in darkness. That is true. Other passages teach that. That's not what he's saying here. 
He's not saying you were once in darkness. He says you once were darkness. And there's that ontological aspect again. You were darkness. That's who you used to be. You embodied it. Darkness defined you. It was a, you know, if you really think about this, this is hard to swallow, right? It used to be a fitting description of you. Now you think about your life before Christ. For every one of us, regardless of what kinds of sins that you partook of, that was a fitting description of you, darkness. You were in the power, in its power, darkness's power, and you heartily approved of what it stood for. That's who you were. That's what you were. Let's talk about this term darkness a little bit. So in the New Testament, it could refer to literal darkness. Uh, It could also refer to the place where the wicked will spend eternity. But it often refers to, as it does here, the realm of sin, where sin is loved and approved. So, for example, John 3.19, sinners loved the darkness. Why? Because that's who they were. They they loved the darkness because of that. Romans 2.19, they are in darkness. 1 John 1.6, They walk in the darkness. So you see those ideas of what you are, but also that you're in that realm, right? But also, it can be used for darkness as the realm where sin reigns. Think in terms of uh, Ephesians 6, 12, we're going to look at later on. Demonic forces are the world forces of this darkness. You see, they, they have power within that realm that God has allowed them to have. But there's that sense of, of a power and domain. And in, that's brought out even more in Colossians 1.13. Believers were delivered from the domain of darkness, right? So there was a time in which we were in that domain. That domain had power over us. That's what the idea of domain, it, 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 it exerted power over us. We couldn't get out of it, not on our own. But he's saying there in Colossians 1 that God has taken you out of that domain of darkness and he's put you into the kingdom of his beloved son. You're under a new head now. So as a believer, you have put off the old self. You were darkness. But now, you're not now. But now you have put on the new self, Ephesians 4.24. And just as an extension of that or another perspective on that, you are light. Now you are light. And what a contrast between darkness and light. You were darkness, now you are light. And again, it's not that he's saying that you are in the light, which you are. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is that now you are light. You are, again, ontological, right? You are light. It's who you are, what you are. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, right now you embody light. Light defines you. Light is a fitting description of you. If you say, well, there's some areas, okay, yeah. That's what this is about, right? Dealing with those areas. So that it's the only thing that describes you is light. Let's talk about the word light. In the New Testament, light is a very important concept. Uh, You probably know some of these passages. Uh, John told us in his first epistle... 
that God is light, which Evan read for us earlier. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. You can see, there's that they're, they're mutually exclusive. You have you have darkness, you have light. You know, and you can't have them both at the same time. They don't they coexist. In his gospel, John said that Jesus is the light of the world. John eight twelve. And so Paul adds here to this that when he says that you are light, you are light in the Lord. He adds that phrase, in the Lord. That's because Jesus is the source of their new life as light. And one of the things that Jesus said in John twelve thirty six is that those who believe in Him, they believe in Him, the light, they become sons of light. And you can see a connection, a parallel with what we're talking about here. We're talking about being children of light. Okay. So, verse 8. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then he says at the end of verse 8, walk as children of light. And that's our third and final main point. Walk as children of light. And we're going to break that down because that covers the end of verse 8 all the way through verse 10. The first thing we want to say about that is the command there, walk consistently as children of light. Walk consistently as children of light. This this verb for walk is, is a present tense command. In other words, he's saying, make it a habit to continually walk in this way. That's the idea behind this. It's not something you do one time and you're done. This is the way you should walk every day. It should be your habit. It should be continual in your life to walk in this way. In what way? As children of light. And as we saw earlier in our study, this word children is the term for a younger child, who a small child who is completely dependent on their parents. And because of that dependency, they have this closer relationship to the parent compared to like when they get a little bit older and they start being a little more independent. They dress themselves and, you know, you let them pick what they want to eat at the restaurant or something like that. They have a little more uh, independence. Well, this child that's so dependent on the parents, they have that closer dependent relationship with with the parent, and he's using that term. And so thinking about that relationship, our Father, God, what is His nature? We, we read that in First John 1, verse 5. God is light. That's His nature. He is light. Okay? <clears throat> and since we are His children, our nature needs to be the same, at least when we're talking about uh, in, in these ethical categories. See, you know, we're obviously not ever going to be infinite, but we must be like Him in this sense of light. God is light. Our Father is light. Our Lord Jesus is light, because obviously all three members of the Godhead are one. They have the same character, same nature. But we're, we're their children. Our nature is also light. And so He says, as children of light, imitate God. And really, that's what all this has been about, right? That we, We've seen that already. He's brought it out uh, there at the end of chapter 4 and beginning of chapter 5. This is all about imitating God. Every bit of this. All the put-off, put-on pairs is about imitating God. And so here again, he's telling us, you know, because you know that God is light and you're children of light, then imitate Him. 
which means to live consistently with your new nature. Because if your new nature, and one of the perspectives on looking, one of the ways you look at that, we see that that nature is light, then live consistently with your new nature. Live consistently with light. And as I said, the Bible uses these images of darkness and light because they're mutually exclusive. The, the Bible writers and the Holy Spirit through them wants to impress upon us that you really shouldn't, those shouldn't coexist. But in our lives as Christians, a lot of times we try to, you know, allow them to coexist. Where we say, okay, I've got this nature, new nature of light. But, you know, there's a little darkness in there and I don't, you know, mind it too much. I think it's okay. But the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to think that way. He wants us to think that, no, in reality, light and darkness don't, they can't coexist. And so, they shouldn't coexist in you. If you are light, then there shouldn't be any darkness there. If you're, if you are a child of light, don't try to cling to darkness. In other words, the, the sinful habits we've been talking about, the sinful ways of thinking. Don't try to cling to those. Okay, so breaking this down a little more, we said walk consistently as children of light, the end of verse 8, now in verse 9. Light produces fruit which expresses itself in godly virtues. Light produces fruit which expresses itself in godly virtues. Look at verse 9. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So what Paul is doing here in this parenthesis is to explain for us what walking in light looks like. And he's he's telling us that your new nature, light, produces fruit. It is to produce fruit. Who you now are in Christ, that nature should produce fruit, should bear fruit. And fruit in the New Testament, it can refer to literal fruit. It can refer to the fruit of the womb. Um, or it's used figuratively, taking those ideas and, and applying them in a figurative way to things like a result or product of something. So, for example, you know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that about false teachers, you will know them by what? Their fruit. Okay you will see the natural outworking of who they are. If they are false teachers, if they are first uh, believing and then teaching things that are not biblical, that's going to work its way out in their life and you'll know them by their fruit. You see, it's it's like you think in terms of um, plants produce fruit. You see, and it's in keeping consistent with the, the nature of that plant as to what kind of fruit it produces. Also, um, probably one of the most uh, well-known passages about fruit, when we're talking spiritually, is Galatians 5, right? So when you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Why does he call it that, the fruit of the Spirit? It's because the work of the Spirit in the heart of a believer, in the life of a believer, is going to manifest itself, work its way out in various fruit. Now, those aren't exhaustive. There's other things the Holy Spirit produces in us. But but those are examples of the way that the Holy Spirit works in us and He produces fruit in our lives. 
So the idea of fruit here, it pictures what the new nature produces in us. And so you see on the slide that there's a, a picture of a part of a fig tree and there's a source of light. Is, you know, I'm playing with two different ideas here, right? So a fig tree, because the, the tree itself, the plant itself, has a certain nature that it's only ever going to produce figs. It's not going to produce apples or oranges, okay? It'll always produce figs if it's producing anything. And so as, as the, the, you know, the sap and everything goes, it, it nourishes the buds that turn into you know, flowers, and then flowers turn into fruit, and the fruit grows. You see, it produces fruit. And so the same idea it applies to us spiritually. And so that's what the arrows, you've got a source of light there. And the arrows, they work in us, if you will, to produce fruit in our lives. Okay, so this this light, which is our new nature, will produce fruit. What is that fruit? Well, it's your words, your works, your actions, attitudes, your behaviors, all of the things that that come out that you do. Remember, Jesus talked about it's the things that come out of you that defile you, right? And so it's it's your words and works. It's all of that. Think. What we try to claim as good works, whatever is coming out of us that we're doing, thinking, the way we act, that is fruit. Now, Paul says, but I want you to understand some things about that fruit. And that's where he's elaborating here in verse 9. He describes for us that this fruit is going to meet again these he could say he could add more words here uh, biblical terms for it but he picks three out in particular he says this will describe that fruit first goodness goodness is generosity toward others it is seeking to to do beneficial good to others remember it's that other centeredness that love will do and you see how this just flows from you know walk in love now walk in light Okay, this flows from it. There's this beneficial good that you do to others. You seek to meet their real needs, to serve, to give. The second term, righteousness. It's serving others with upright character, you see. These are not the fruit. These are the things that define the fruit, and I'll illustrate that for you in just a minute, but um, we'll go more into that. So righteousness is serving others. That's the fruit, is the serving. But doing it with upright character. And then the third term, truth. It's talking about a truthful lifestyle that is honest, trustworthy, done with personal integrity. So the things that you do, there's an honesty in it. There's this personal integrity in the way that you serve. And so putting that together, light serves others with generosity, upright character, and integrity. Our light expresses itself within the sphere of these virtues. So let's go to the next slide. Thank you. Uh, So here first, there's this sphere because he says... Literally, the fruit of the light, and then it doesn't, the word consists isn't in there. We supply that. But the fruit of the light in all goodness and so on. You see, so it's this sphere that these kind of form the boundaries around light. So light in the middle of the slide there in the picture is, is showing, okay, there's going to be fruit born by that light, but it, but it is, you know, bounded by goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
You see, so it's going to define them. It's going to serve, if you will, as that which is going to govern the fruit that, that comes out of us. If it's a product of the light, it is going to be good. It is going to be righteous. It is going to be truthful and have integrity. So let's go to the next slide if we could. Um, and you see here, the, within that now, I've put those, that fruit, the actual fruit. That's the words and works and actions and attitudes and all that, Okay. That is the actual fruit. But he says that fruit will be in goodness, righteousness, and truth. You see, it's within that sphere. So I was trying to, to picture this for you because whenever Paul, he likes to use the term, remember, in Christ, and we're always trying to wrap our heads around that because most of the time it's, uh, in Ephesians anyway, it's this idea of sphere, that we're in the sphere of Christ. And that's hard to picture sometimes. So I'm trying to help us think this through and picture it. So you've got this sphere of where the... the the fruit, um, what defines it? You see, so if it, if you say, okay, I, I did some good works this week. And, you know, I really wanted people to like me. And so I did something good. Does that fall within the sphere? No. Because it doesn't fit goodness, righteousness, and truth. I did it so that they would like me. That's not a good motive. Okay. So this person who doesn't like me needed something and God put it on my heart to help them and so I helped them. Okay, that, everything else being equal, would fall within that sphere. You see, that's the idea here is that our fruit, if it's truly born by the light, is going to be within that sphere, if you will, governed by goodness, righteousness, and truth. And oh, that... Each one of us could have a beautiful legacy like Hezekiah. Uh, in, in 2 Chronicles 31, it says of him that he served God, he served the house of God, he served the people of God. And, and as he did it, he served God with his whole heart. And then this beautiful thing attributed to him, Scripture says that, quote, he did what was, guess what, good and right and true before Yahweh his God. May that be true of us too. Okay, our last point as we have broken that down now. As you walk, discern what pleases the Lord. As you walk, discern what pleases the Lord. This is the how. Okay. Let me back up. The end of verse 8. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now he goes back to that... That command, walk as children of light, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So after he finished with that parenthesis of verse 9, he gets back to what he was saying. Walk as children of the light, and here's how you do that. And the NAS and some of the others have something similar to this idea of trying to learn. The word, the verb there actually means to approve something or to test something. Or it means to be discerning. A couple of the translations have that. And this idea of approving, there's words, different words for that in Greek, for approving or testing something. There's a different word that's not used here for you're testing something, expecting it to fail the test. Okay? This word that he's using here is testing something, but you're hoping that it will 
basically be approved. It'll pass the test. Okay, so it's used in First Corinthians eleven, verse twenty-eight. Uh, somebody made reference to it already earlier today. That when we are getting ready to take the Lord's table, we should have hopefully already been doing this earlier in the day. But if you hadn't done it yet, when we start to Lord's Supper, you run through your mind. Okay, is there any unrepentant sin in my life? Anything I've not dealt with? And you, you examine yourself. But that's expecting or hoping that the test will say, yeah, approved. Go ahead and partake. But what happens when you're like, hmm, you know... Yeah, something earlier this morning I didn't deal with. What do you do? Deal with it. Okay, take it before the Lord silently. Lord, I sinned against you this morning or yesterday or, you know, and I haven't dealt with that. Forgive me, Lord. You deal with it. And then what do you do? Then Paul says, then let him partake, right? You see, this idea of, of testing, hoping to approve, and that's what he's talking about here. Believers are to test themselves uh, before partaking the Lord's table. Okay, so he's using that same idea here. So in our verse, I like the way that the, the um, CSB puts it, the Holman uh, version, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. And the ESV is similar to that. Discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. So as a child of light, walk in a discerning way. That's what he's talking about. So as you go about your life, the way you live... Do it in a discerning way. It's like you have a, a, a you know really powerful flashlight and you're you're shining it on every situation you encounter. Then okay, is this something that I can approve? Is this or not? Right? You want to be discerning about what pleases the Lord. Remember what he's what he's contrasting with here. The end of verse six, you know, he talked about the sons of disobedience, and then there's this contrast with what we are to be like if we're children of light. We are seeking to do what is pleasing to the Lord. See, the sons of disobedience, they disobey. They disobey God, right? That's why they're called that. They seek their own. They, they seek what's good for themselves. Children of the light want to do what is pleasing to the Lord. We see these two concepts of the approving, hoping, you know, or discerning, hoping to approve, and pleasing to the Lord. We see both of those used in another passage together. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. There it talks about us testing everything and then accepting what conforms to God's will. We test it according to the Word of God. And if it passes the test, then we approve it. Okay, that's good. That's okay. And we do that because we know that if it passes the test, then it will be pleasing to the Lord. You see, if it conforms to His Word, it will be pleasing to the Lord. You want to please Him, not to earn His favor, not to get Him to like you, not hoping He will save you. If you are saved, you want to please Him out of gratitude for all that He's showered upon you. You want to obey Him and please Him out of all the love that He has showered upon you in Christ. You think there are 1 John 4 especially, right? And all that the love of God He talks about there. God gives us freedom in many areas. And when there's a need, you, you may be able to look at that and say, okay, I don't have the means to meet that need. Okay, so that's not me. There's somebody else that's going to meet that need. 
And, and there, there's some, some freedom in that. Or, you know, you, you can't help everybody with every need. That's not possible. So you have to be discerning. Where do I help? And that sort of thing. So there's some freedom in, in this. But we need to ask whether the choice of how, what we do, how we do it, will it be pleasing to the Lord? The ultimate question is not, will it please me? That is true of the sons of disobedience. That's what they ask. Is it going to please me? Is it going to benefit me? The ultimate question is, will it please the Lord? And even when you have free areas, you know, in, in free areas, that if it's okay for you to do this or to not do it, you know, or, okay, so who's the, you know, the person, if you're a single person, you want to be married, and, okay, they have freedom in Christ as long as they are a believer. But I need to ask, is this going to please the Lord? We do what we do, whatever it is, we bring everything in our walk. And that's the walk encompasses your whole life, not just your service, but everything. Is it pleasing to the Lord? That is where our hearts should be. And what a contrast that is to living in darkness. I mean, you think about it. Before we were saved, the way we thought was, is it going to please me? Is it going to benefit me? But now that we're saved, we're, the first question is, will it please the Lord? And one of the things that we'll do is we'll say, well, okay, does the Bible have anything to say about that? And usually it does, at least indirectly as moral principles that we can apply. And is it pleasing to the Lord? That is what drives us. We want to obey Him. We want to please Him. That's as different as light is from darkness. That kind of thinking. As we come to the Lord's Supper... Think about it in John 4.34. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him, the Father, who sent me. That's my food. That's what drives me. It's a different way of saying that I decide to do everything I do based on what's going to please Him. Is this in, in connection with what He sent me to do? Will this please my Father? And Jesus himself said that he is the light of the world. And because he is the light, his life manifested goodness, righteousness, and truth in everything he did. You read through the Gospels and you see goodness, righteousness, truth in everything he did. Including the culmination of his earthly ministry... Um, prior to His resurrection. It culminated in the cross. Goodness, righteousness, truth. Which led Him to do what? Sacrifice. And if we are to walk in love, we will sacrifice. If we walk in light, we're going to be like Him. And sometimes, our life is going to require sacrifice. Not to die on a cross, but to die daily to ourselves. Sacrifice to do that which will be pleasing to the Lord. That should be our pattern. Jesus should be our pattern. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Willing to sacrifice when needed.